Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's Friday, April 29th, 2016, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds. I'm Indre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. Each week, we bring you a new in-depth exploration of the space where science, politics, and society collide. We endeavor to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it all matters. You can find us online at motherjones.com slash inquiringminds or inquiringshow.tumblr.com and on Twitter at inquiringshow and Facebook. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or any other podcasting app. When ice sheets melt, ocean levels rise, right? Simple as that. Sure. Uh, Maybe not quite. Most of the conversation around sea level rise is focused on Antarctica. With good reason, there is the potential right now of a huge ice shelf in Antarctica collapsing, which would cause massive sea level rise all around the world. But lately, Greenland has become the hot topic in ice melting. Reports have emerged that we're seeing an acceleration of melting in Greenland, upwards of 12% quicker than just in 2015. OMG, am I right? Rot roll. And this melting will have dire consequences both on sea level rise and ocean currents in the Atlantic, especially with introducing that much cold water into a really complicated ocean system. But many questions remain about Greenland, especially around how fast the ice is melting and if it's accelerating. So this week, I called up Josh Willis. He's the senior scientist on NASA JPL's OMG project. What a name for a scientific study. It's the Oceans Melting Greenland Project, which is studying melting over the next five years on Greenland using a combination of novel sensors in the ocean and satellite imagery. We had a ranging discussion on the impact of melting and the weird dynamics that are involved when freshwater and saltwater come together. Spoiler alert, much more complicated than I ever thought it would be. Uh, Plus, we're joined by a special guest at the end of the interview. And this is week two of a four-part series investigating the effects of climate change on the Earth. We launched on Earth Day, April 22nd, with an interview with Bill Nye, who's an advocate for climate change. Well, I guess not for climate change, but for talking about climate change and implementing policy that might protect us from its ill effects. This week, we're going to talk about melting ice sheets, in particular about Greenland. And then we're going to talk about ocean acidification and that effect. And finally, we're going to wrap up the series by exploring how climate change might affect human health. How do you think sea level rise will affect you, Indre? Well, I live in a coastal city. (laughs) Soon to be oceanfront property if things go right. (laughs) Uh, And we purposefully bought a house on a hill, uh, so I don't think my own home will be flooded. But no, I mean, with all seriousness, I think that 
probably the coastal cities are going to be more affected from what I've heard. Places like New York or New Orleans who have seen flooding are going to see more frequent flooding from storm weather and so forth. So, you know, I think there will be major effects, but it's still hard for me to even imagine, you know, this kind of doomsday scenario of whole cities going underwater. Well, here's a stat that I heard recently. So one meter of sea level rise, which is something that's been commonly predicted by around 2050 to 2070, depending on how fast these ice sheets are accelerating in their melting. One meter, so three to four feet. Uh, that'll put a quarter of lower Manhattan underwater. It's amazing. And that's if we don't do some adaptation, like building up seawalls. And San Francisco, the town we live in right now, just finally released a report about reinforcing their seawall in the context of climate change. But these are billions upon billions of dollars project, and they may not be enough depending on how quickly the acceleration is happening. So lower Manhattan is pretty important, but in San Francisco, we just lose the marina, right? (laughs) Yeah, screw that place. (laughs) There's just a lot of yoga pants and expensive cocktails. The the thing that actually really strikes me is it's not just about the rise itself. The rise itself is going to be problematic, but let's imagine a scenario where some technology actually comes along and we can more cheaply adapt to sea level rise. I don't know what that magic thing would be, but let's say we get there. It's that the ocean currents themselves are going to change with the influx of all of this cold water in ways that are going to affect all of these industries from, from basic fishing to uh, seasonal weather patterns in these areas. If like an ocean current just stops going up to Norway, a cold one, all of a sudden their weather patterns just dramatically change. I don't know. Sure, change just means opportunity, right? <laughs> I guess we can take Norwegian cruises through the Arctic because of all this ice melting. Well, I also did see there is a new company that, you know, how there's this problem for billionaires that if they have their little tiny island that they bought somewhere in the Caribbean or wherever, that their island might now be underwater. Well, there is a new company that has built a kind of yacht-like island that has these four platoons. So you just float it on down. What listservs are you on? That talk about the one percent listservs. Gee, what? So you know we got we got to worry about those one percent of billionaires. I will say though, for all of this dire talk that I'm having about the impact of of ocean melting, I got to say Josh was actually kind of optimistic about our ability to to reverse the trend. So at least that's something to hang our hat on. Wow, and I can't wait to meet his friend. <laughs> oh, he's a, he's a real tough one. <laughs> Josh's friend. So with that, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with my interview with Josh Willis. This episode is sponsored by Earnest. Did you know that you can refinance your student loans, save thousands, and make your new loan incredibly easy to manage? Earnest has created the most flexible refinancing experience to help financially responsible grads take control of their student loans at earnest.com. Their product helps clients save an average of almost $18,000. With variable rates starting as low as 2.13% APR, Earnest never charges any fees. So no fees for origination, no penalties for paying off your loan quickly or changing your terms down the line. They let you customize your payment to match your budget and timeline, and their simple dashboard makes it easy to manage your loan, even from your phone. Ernest can do this because they're a new kind of lender, one that looks at things traditional banks do not, like your savings habits and earnings potential, to give you the lowest possible rates. And even better, their expert in-house customer service team is available via phone, email, and chat for the life of your loan. 
It takes less than two minutes to find out how much you could save and even have a special offer for our listeners. Get a $150 bonus when you refinance through earnest.com slash inquiring minds. Don't get stuck paying more than you have to. Check out earnest.com slash inquiring minds and take two minutes to see your personalized rate estimate today. Josh Willis, welcome to Inquiring Minds. Hey, Kishore. I'm so glad to be here. So Oceans Melting Greenland, that's the name of your big new scientific project. You literally gave your project the name OMG, which is a bit more optimistic than most climate scientists. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I still think that there's time to uh, to avoid the biggest catastrophes of climate change. Uh, but I still think it's important to to highlight how big they could be. And that's part of the reason I picked the name OMG. Uh, that and it's easy to remember just three letters. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about how important Greenland is to the conversation about climate change, particularly sea level rise? For the longest time, there's been a focus on Antarctica, but it seems like there's renewed interest in Greenland. Well, Greenland contains enough ice to raise sea levels by 20 feet if it all melted today. So it's a huge volume of ice and a huge potential for future sea level rise. The big question, just like in Antarctica, how fast is it going to melt? And what's interesting about about uh, Greenland is that we're seeing uh, ocean ice interactions really come alive there. You know, we usually think about Greenland melting from the top down. The air gets hot, we get some extra sun, the surface melts, it runs off into the ocean. That's the process we all are familiar with. Uh, scientists have been studying it for a long time, and you know we think we understand it reasonably well, a few, uh, a few complications aside. But what's new is that we're beginning to see that the ice around the edges of Greenland, right where the ice meets the water, is disappearing even more quickly than the center. So the edges are really beginning to uh, shrink, and we think it's because they're feeling the impact of the ocean. And when you say feeling the impact of the ocean, are we talking about the salinity of the water or the temperature of the water? What factors are really causing that shift? Well, it's really the temperature of the water. There's uh, water near the ice in some places that is three or four degrees Celsius above freezing. Now, if you were to stick your toe in there, it would still be cold, but that's warm enough to melt a lot of ice. And it seems to be coming in contact with the glaciers right at their bottom. Uh, the interesting thing about a lot of glaciers in Greenland is that they flow right into the ocean. They literally have a toe in the water. And some of them sit in water that's thousands of feet deep. That means that they have, uh, they can potentially feel warm water from way down deep, and it can have a big impact on what they're doing. Now, Greenland goes through a typical cycle of freezing and thawing, just like any other Arctic area. Why is the ocean nibbling at the edges so important? Is that so abnormal versus what we usually see? Well, yeah. Every year, Greenland grows. It grows and shrinks and grows and shrinks with the seasons. In the wintertime, it gets extra snow and there's not much melting. And so the amount of ice in Greenland literally grows. In the summertime, it melts. But what we're seeing in the summertime is the melt is bigger than the growth. So the long-term trend is for Greenland to be losing ice. And what's interesting about the water around Greenland is that it's kind of upside down. 
In other words, the warm water is actually down deep, and the cold water is near the surface. The reason for that is that the warm water is salty. So this warm, salty water is creeping up onto the continental shelf, weaving its way through canyons in the seafloor to reach these glaciers and chip away at them. And that process is something that's relatively new, and we're just really beginning to understand it. So you're suggesting this isn't as simple as how an ice cube might melt uh, floating on top of some water. There's a lot of geology at play here because of how the water can route through crevices or even the shape of the sea floor could affect. Yeah, that's absolutely right. In fact, uh, part of OMG is that we're measuring the shape and depth of the sea floor because it's incredibly complicated. You know, 20,000 years ago and then 120,000 years ago, when Greenland was covered with a lot more ice and sea level was lower, these great rivers of ice cut huge canyons into the floor of the ocean. And so those remain, and there's this kind of complicated network of these canyons that allows this warm water to creep up from the deep and reach the glaciers and eat away at them. So the shape and depth of the seafloor, what we call the ocean bathymetry, is an incredibly important piece of the puzzle. We've also seen pictures recently from the surface with rivers flowing on top of the glaciers, and there are almost etchings that go down through the glacier into the ocean. Do we have a sense of what's causing more of the melting? Is it the ocean nibbling at the edges or if the surface top-down effect? Well, probably right now it's still the top-down effect. But what's interesting is that they actually interact. Because when the meltwater at the surface, as you say, it digs a hole down through the center of the ice sheet, and it runs off the land into the water down deep, right at the base of the ice sheet. So when it finally reaches the ocean, this fresh water from the surface melt is actually below the surface of the ocean. So it might come out a thousand feet below the surface of the ocean. It's cold and it's really fresh, and that means the water is very light compared to the seawater. So the first thing that happens when this meltwater reaches the sea is that it climbs up the vertical face of the glacier. So it rises very quickly. And as it rises, what it tends to do is draw in the deeper water and bring it closer to the face of the glacier. So it turns out that the surface melt and the runoff is also playing a role in the ocean ice interaction. It seems like what you're studying needs to be looked at really up close, which strikes me as odd because you work for NASA. I would think you'd be studying this project using satellites. So how are you actually conducting this study? Well, yeah, and there are lots of folks, I should say, who are also studying the same problem. It's not just OMG. And there are folks who go right up to the ice face and look carefully at the properties of the water there and how it's changing. With OMG, we're taking a, a sort of a middle step, somewhere between being right at the face of the glacier and being way up in space. We're flying aircraft around Greenland and measuring both the ocean and the ice from these aircraft. So for the ice, we fly a radar uh, at a height of about 40,000 feet above the glaciers, and it sweeps out a six-mile-wide swath of height measurements. So we literally measure the elevation of these glaciers right at the edge, right where they meet the ocean. And then we'll go back in a year and another year and another year and look at which ones are shrinking and retreating. Then for the oceans, we're 
dropping sensors into the oceans from the aircraft. The warm water, like I said, is down deep, so a surface measurement is really not enough. You have to get a temperature probe down in the water column where it can measure the warm water. So these probes fall out of the airplane. We literally push them through a tube and they fall on a parachute. They land on the surface and then they deploy a little sensor, which looks like a tiny little torpedo. Uh, it falls through the ocean and measures the temperature and salinity while the surface float uh, radios that data back to the plane. So it's kind of a neat system. So you're essentially throwing robots into the ocean. Are they doing continual measuring or is it just a one-time measurement? It's one and done for the robot sensors. These are disposable instruments, so they only get a single profile. Uh, once they drop that sensor, they radio the data back, uh, and then after about 15 minutes, they sink themselves to the seafloor to be lost forever. So they are one-use instruments, but they're giving us data in this incredibly important area where there's almost no ocean data so far. Greenland is massive, so how do you decide where to study? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. When I was in graduate school, I, I did a project in the Tasman Sea, and after it was done, my advisor said, so what do you want to do next? And I said, you know, I, I can't really decide, so I just think I'll do the whole ocean, the whole world <laughs> with the same technique. Uh, and that's sort of been my philosophy with OMG, too. We're doing the entire island. We're, we've mapped uh, over 220 glacier faces uh, this March when we flew the radar. And we're going to be dropping 250 temperature sensors all the way around the continental shelf, uh, really trying to understand how the warm water gets there, how far it spreads, and how thick it is, how thick the layer of warm water is. So we're trying to do a big comprehensive experiment and look at the ocean ice interactions all the way around Greenland. Why March as the time of the year? I would think the height of melting would be much later in the year. Well, March is good for the radar because the radar likes to see dry snow. Once the snow starts to melt, it changes the radar return signal, uh, and we don't get quite as clean and accurate a measurement. So for the radar, we really want to see uh, a clear view of the elevation of the glaciers. Now, of course, they'll be at the end of their, uh, at the end of the cold season, so they won't have melted a lot, but we're coming back a year later to see how they melted over the summer and changed over the summer. Uh, for the ocean part, we actually are going right at the height of summer around uh, the middle of September. We'll be collecting most of the ocean data, uh, and that's because that's when the sea ice is uh, most in retreat. There's the least amount of sea ice, and the little probes have to fall through uh, the water, so the sea ice kind of messes them up. Because this is all at the edges, are we concerned about the ice shelf collapsing like it's been suggested could happen in Antarctica? Well, it's exactly, uh, it's, it's not quite exactly like Antarctica, but it's very similar in that it's a process we don't understand and one which could really run away quickly. There are a lot of, uh, or there are a few glaciers in Greenland which uh, have what's called a reverse bed slope. That means that as you go inland away from the ocean, they actually get deeper. And those drainage basins, the places where the ice sheet is uh, draining ice through those basins, uh, they really are threatened and could disappear very quickly. And we could begin to see runaway processes uh, like are predicted for Antarctica. 
But just the ocean ice interaction itself is something we, the fact is we really don't know how fast it can happen. Um, we've never observed this before. It's a relatively new thing in earth science. It's just started happening in the last few decades, and we've just started looking at it really closely in the last five to 10 years. So the short answer is we don't know. Do we have a sense of how the introduction of this much fresh, cold water is going to affect ocean cycles? I imagine that we're not just talking about impact to sea levels, but even ocean currents. Well, yeah, there's a really famous set of currents in the Atlantic Ocean called the conveyor belt or the overturning circulation. And these carry warm water northward and near the surface in the Atlantic, and they carry cold water southward down deep away from the surface. So the net effect is for the Atlantic Ocean to be moving heat northward. So you take warm water, send it north, cold water, send it south. That means you're dumping heat from the ocean into the atmosphere. So this overturning circulation is an important part of the climate, particularly the climate around the Atlantic Ocean uh, in in Greenland, but also North America, uh, Africa, Europe. All of these places are affected by the overturning circulation. And it's been suggested that as Greenland melts and as the climate warms, this circulation will slow down. Um, The headwaters of this circulation, if you will, are just off the Greenland coast on either side where salty water uh, is um, uh, undergoes huge uh, sinking events during big storms. So uh, the water's so salty at the surface, that means it's kind of heavy anyway. Then a big storm comes along, it evaporates a lot of water, it makes it colder and saltier, and it sinks. It sinks very deep. And this is how the overturning circulation really begins. So it's been theorized that Greenland melt will begin to slow the overturning circulation. Now, it's not something we're really able to measure yet, but we will begin to see it over the next century. And it's another big question mark in terms of what's going to happen as Greenland loses ice. That sort of suggests, and I know we're talking about models predicting this, while sea level rise is going to impact everyone, especially those that live near the coast, it may not quite impact everyone in quite the same way. Is that true? People in Norway might feel different effects than people in Florida? Oh, absolutely. Um, not just because of the, the climate. I mean, of course, the, what happens when the overturning circulation slows down is that the water in the North Atlantic gets cooler. And so that means that there'll be a smaller impact from the warming of global warming uh, in the North Atlantic as the overturning shuts down. Uh, the South Atlantic will warm up more because of the slowdown in the overturning. There's also changes in rainfall um, at drought in Africa, uh, the uh, uh, rainfall brought by tropical cyclones and hurricanes in North America, uh, all those are affected by changes in the overturning circulation. But in addition, there's also extra sea level rise. Um, the water temperatures uh, and salinities change in different regions, and so some coastlines uh, could actually see extra sea level rise as the overturning slows down beyond what Greenland and Antarctica are doing. This is all fairly pessimistic. Like, there isn't a lot to suggest there is hope, but you started this conversation by saying you are optimistic that we can make some changes. Why do you feel that when evidence is mounting that Greenland is melting at a faster and faster rate? Well, I think that there's still time to avoid the biggest consequences. You know, we're going to see some more melting. We're going to see some more sea level rise, more warming. 
there's a certain amount that's inevitable. But the question is, do you want to get hit in the head with a ping pong ball or a bowling ball? That's really the difference between a huge amount of warming and a small amount of warming. You know, less warming, it's easier to adapt to. So I'm still optimistic we can avoid the bowling ball to the head, but, uh, you know, time's running out. We've really got to act soon. Do we have any sense of how much time we have? Is this project on Greenland going to give us an indication of how much time we have in the context of sea level rise? That's a great question. And again, it's one we really don't know. How fast is this going to happen? Nobody's really prepared to say. We just don't have the knowledge. And, you know, it's kind of like the weather. You know, we've been studying the weather for 100 years. And every two weeks, we get to try again with a new forecast. So we've tried and failed over and over and over again. With things like Greenland melt, this is the first time we're seeing it. So as we watch it happen, we'll learn more. Uh, but to a certain degree, we, we won't really know until we see it happen. And uh, I'm hopeful that OMG will begin to improve our understanding. Uh, so we know there's going to be some more melt over the next five years of this project. And we hope to really capture it and understand it so that we can better close the gap between our, our understanding now and where we really want it to be. Have you had a chance to visit Greenland for this project? Well, I haven't set foot on the island yet, but I did fly over it at 40,000 feet a couple of weeks ago when we deployed out of Iceland. Uh, I flew to Iceland and met the crew who operates the radar uh, and fly the plane and flew with them for a couple of days uh, over Greenland as they collected data with the GLSEN radar, which is the one that measures the heights. Uh, the thing that really struck me when I was there was just how big it is. You know, you look at these glaciers on a map, and when you're looking at all of Greenland, a single glacier seems tiny. And then when you fly over it and see it in real life, even the tiniest glacier is gigantic. So it really gave me a, a, a good, uh, you know, a sense of awe at the scale of this place. Are you bringing any special friends with you? Well, yeah, you know, I, I uh, met one of the pilots, uh, you know, uh, who's flying this mission. Uh, he's a really uh, interesting guy. His name is Dick Dangerfield. And uh, uh, yeah, he and I went out together to Iceland and, and uh, flew with the crew for a day. Who is Dick Dangerfield? Uh, well, you know, Dick's a pretty cool guy. Uh, you know, not too much impresses him. He's a NASA pilot, too. So, you know, he's kind of been there and done that. But uh, he was an interesting character to bring along. You, you want to meet Dick? I, I could I could bring him. He's he's in the room right next door. You, you want to talk to him? Yeah, let's talk to him. All right, hang on. Hey, Dick. All right, out of the way. This is Dick Dangerfield, NASA pilot. What can I do for you? Dick, tell me about Oceans Melting Greenland. What got you involved in this project? Well, to be honest, Kishore, you know, it, it's not my favorite project name. Uh, you know, I, I would have picked something different like uh, uh, Greenland and the oceans, really, you know. Gator. But uh, I think, uh, you know, it's an interesting project. Uh, they say it's melting, but uh, I didn't really see it. It looked pretty cold when I was there. Do you believe all this stuff Josh is spewing about Greenland melting and sea level rising? As a NASA pilot, you've probably seen it all. Well, you know, it's a quite a big world, Kishore, and uh, there's all kinds of climates. I flew around Greenland and I was pretty cold. So global warming. Hey, man, I haven't seen it yet. So what's it going to take for you to believe in global warming? I guess uh, I guess I got to see some uh, polar bears on the beach, you know what I'm saying? I don't recall seeing any beaches in Greenland. That's right, my friend. But if there was global warming, 
Wouldn't they be on the beach? I mean, I love the beach, and I'm pretty sure polar bears would love the beach too. What are you most excited about seeing in Greenland? Well, Kishore, not too much excites me, but uh, I like to fly. Uh, The great blue yonder, that's where I live, and uh, that's what I want to see. When I'm flying over the frozen tundra in Greenland... you, you know, Dick, it's, it's actually an ice sheet. It's not, whatever, science boy. The frozen ice sheet in Greenland, I just feel free. And that's where I belong, in Greenland. Matter of fact, I think I've got to get on my motorcycle and, uh, and drive off and, and go fly my plane. I'm getting, I'm getting antsy. I, I don't like talking to reporters for too long, Kishore. Have a great adventure, Dick. And I look forward to having a pina colada with you and a polar bear on a beach soon. Will do, Kishore, although we'll see who's wearing the suit. This is Dick Dangerfield, over and out. All right, th- thanks, Dick. Drive safe, Dick. Thanks, all right. Seems like a tough job to convince Dick that global warming is real. Yeah, he, he's definitely a character, you know. I, I, uh, uh, I, I never quite know what he's going to say. Uh, but uh, he's a funny guy, and, and I like having him along. He happens to be a puppet, too, though. Well, you know, they, they like to be called fuzzy people. Uh, puppets kind of derogatory. <laughs> So you're going on this adventure with Dick. What do you hope people gain out of this video series that you're doing together as you go to Greenland? Well, it's an exciting mission, you know, and I think uh, (laughs) Dick is an exciting character. So I'm hoping people kind of go along for the ride with us, uh, check out uh, OMG, and then learn a few things about science and oceans melting Greenland along the way. Josh Willis, thank you so much for joining us on Inquiring Minds. Thanks a lot, Kishore. It was really fun. Dick Dangerfield, he's quite a charismatic NASA pilot, right? There is a mouth on that one. <laughs> I love Josh because I, I met him through this uh, this climate uh, scientist tra- uh, communication training program. And he's been uh, an improviser, a comedic improviser for a number of years. And he actually had a, uh, a show running for multiple months uh, last year that was a fully improvised show around climate change every night for multiple months. It's crazy that he would um, do something like that. Uh, just having a day job as a scientist is usually enough, but as an improviser, second. Well, he's certainly very good at communicating these complex issues. I felt like I understood everything that he said. And despite the fact that, yes, it's a little scary, <laughs> uh, the, the idea that we're, we still have the possibility to at least reduce this impact was really pretty compelling. You know, the part that is actually most scary to me wasn't so much the idea of how melting is going to impact things it was it was the oh we don't know we don't know and and usually i'm really comfortable with that scientists say that on our show all the time and it's usually really refreshing to hear the i don't know this time the i don't knowns were like i think we need to know that right now (laughs) yeah i mean i'd much prefer the ping pong ball over the bowling ball uh to the head so (laughs) that's definitely what i'm hoping for um but yeah i mean i you know i i think in some ways, part of me feels like once the evidence really is overwhelming, I mean, I guess in some ways it already is overwhelming, but for the average person who's living in, you know, middle America, maybe there isn't a lot of physical evidence that this is happening. But if like lower Manhattan goes underwater, it's going to be inarguable. And then I, 
as as he mentions, within five years, we solved a global crisis, which was the Second World War. So could we solve a similar global crisis when it comes to climate change? We're a pretty adaptable species. I'm not suggesting we should wait until it gets to that point. But I also loved his optimism. And it made me feel like, you know, sometimes we talk about climate change as this, this, just like this big downer. And it makes me feel you know, helpless. And I just want to crawl into a cave and not do anything. Whereas talking to people like Josh makes me feel like, hey, actually, this is a problem that we can solve. It's a really big problem, but it's potentially solvable and kind of energizes me to do something about it. I'm going to laugh along with Dick as they're flying around Greenland. But I imagine there's also going to be some real beautiful imagery that comes out of their project with these advanced satellite shots that they're doing of the Greenland landscape. I've seen a number of artists do uh, exhibitions on uh, ice melting and ice flows coming off of Greenland. And they're some of the most stunning visuals you'll ever have the chance to see. And I'm hoping we'll never have to see these visuals again because they're evidence of a of a world we've tainted. But uh, I think there is going to be some really startlingly beautiful results that come out of Josh's project. No pressure, Josh. <laughs> So that's it for another episode. I want to thank you for joining us for this installment of Inquiring Minds. And we'd also like to thank our supporters on our Patreon campaign, especially Herring Chang, Nick Cadillac, Brendan Ryan, and Sean Johnson. You can visit our website at inquiringshow.tomber.com and you can support us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds. You can also find us on Twitter at inquiringshow and Facebook. And you can send us comments, feedback, future guest ideas, your own furry people, fuzzy people, uh, or anything else you'd like to inquiringminds at climatedesk.org. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Danger Isaac in collaboration with The Climate Desk. Our research assistant is Caitlin Smith. Our music is provided by award-winning producer Rianjian. And we're your hosts. I'm Indre Viscontis. You can find me on Twitter at Indre Vis. And I'm Kishore Hari at Science Quiche. See you next week. And once again, this episode is sponsored by Ernest. Ernest offers the most flexible student loan refinancing available, saving clients almost $18,000 on average. Ernest looks at things traditional banks do not, like your savings habits and earnings potential, to give you the lowest possible rate. They never charge fees, and they let you totally customize your term and payment amount to match your budget and timeline. On top of saving an average of around $18,000, our listeners get a $150 bonus when they refinance. Check out earnest.com slash inquiringminds to get your personalized rate estimate in just two minutes. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.